Welcome to Truth and Grace with John and Mark. In this podcast, we tackle difficult issues related to living, loving, and leading in a broken world. Today's episode is about restoration to ministry after a moral failure. Welcome to Truth and Grace with John and Mark. Thanks for joining us today. Always great to be with my buddy, John Bailey. How you doing, John? I am doing amazing, Mark. I hope you're doing well. And for some people that watch, they may not know, but Mark has a great love for going to state parks here in Colorado. We live in one of the most beautiful places on the planet. And uh, any interesting stories you want to share with us about your adventures to, is it 15 state parks you've visited? Yeah, 15 so far. There's 42 state parks in Colorado, and I have set a five-year goal of visiting all of them. And I've done 15 now, and I won't be able to do the rest of them as quickly for a couple of reasons. One, winters here could be pretty brutal. (laughs) (laughs) It's about to slow down. (laughs) It's about to slow down. Actually, some of them are even closed in the winter because of snow. It's so much snow. And then secondly, I've done the ones that are close. So the further they get out, the more effort it takes to get to them. I mean, some of them are like seven and a half hour drive one way to go. But uh, I actually did three last week. So I did 13, 14 and 15 last week. Actually, I think I found my favorite uh, hike so far Uh, because most of these what I do when I go to them is I like to hike. Yeah. And, um, you know, like to take the dog with me when I can, that sort of thing. But uh yeah, last week I did Golden Gate Canyon State Park. Wow. And uh, that was my favorite. And, of course, right now the aspen trees are starting <laughs> to change color. So you have these beautiful colors of the gold aspen trees. And, uh, you know, I lived in a desert for, you know, 25 years. <laughs> right. In the Middle East, it, right. In the Middle yeah. East with no <laughs> trees, basically, you know. And so um, God has definitely rewarded me. You know, the desert has its own kind of beauty. Sure. But this is definitely refreshing, and I'm definitely loving this season. Well, you are a great commercial for Colorado, so if you're out there, <laughs> come and visit us and stop by and say hello at our uh, World Challenge offices. We would love that. <laughs> yeah. So what's the subject today? It's a heavy one. All right. So the last two weeks we've talked about spiritual restoration. Right. And even last week, you know, it's funny because you and I don't always land on exactly the same place. Yeah, yeah. Hey, on some if, of these things. Yeah. Somebody, I mean, uh, we we can't both be wrong, right? So uh, <laughs> somebody. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and, you know, uh, even last week we were talking about this and we, we had a discussion even afterwards to yeah. talk about this. And, you know, I, I had shared an example of spiritual restoration and said, you know, all I can do is say, this is what we did. Right. I can't even say it was the right decision. It felt right in that moment. um, And it had good results, but that doesn't mean it would be universal in its approach. And so, you know, some of the stuff that we talk about here, you know, I think it's you and I know it, but it's good for the listener to know that one, it's our perspective. Sure. And of course my perspective has been influenced by living in a cross-cultural context for 30 sure. years. And so even the example I gave last week was a cross-cultural one. Yeah, well, and listen, restoration is not an, an exact science. I think I think that there is some um, great principles yep. there, and we'll talk about some today specifically for restoring people in ministry. Uh, but it's not an exact science, and it takes discernment, and it takes prayer, and it takes 
you know, and sometimes I certainly have made mistakes in the past when it comes to restoration or restoring mm-hmm. other people. And uh, but it's not perfect. But hopefully over the years, we've learned a few things and, that are really important in the process. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and as you are said, today's one is really heavy because while we all every believer needs mm-hmm. a degree of spiritual restoration regularly in their life today we're talking about those in ministry yeah what do we do when those in ministry fail you know so if i fail one i'm asking the personal question can i be restored and then as people in the church and particularly if you're in leadership in a church context to ask the question can somebody restore be restored should they be restored and if so how should they be restored sure yeah, and there's a lot of factors in there. I, I think one thing from a beginning point is that, hey, being a, a believer, being a Christian, attending church even, is something I, I know for, for me. There's only one person that I ever said that they couldn't come back to the church. It was when I was a youth pastor, and uh, th- the guy was selling drugs. <laughs> he was a drug dealer. <laughs> My goodness. And I told him, you can come to church. But then he started trying to sell drugs to people at church, and I that was the line I said, hey— you can't come to church here if you're if you're harming people, if you present yourself as a, a, a place to, to, to harm other people. So but it's different in ministry. We don't have there's not like this right to ministry. It's a privilege. I think maybe the greatest privilege on the planet is Amen. to serve Jesus in ministry. And so the the judgment that we're held to is higher yeah. than just somebody who attends church. You nailed it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So. I, I'm going to ask you a yes/no question, but I know the answer is not okay. that simple. <laughs> Can a person who has failed, in, morally failed in ministry, be restored? You know, the the obvious answer to that is yes, but it, it is a yes with with a caveat. It's a yeah. yes because the can, but uh, should every person be restored? They should be. They should be restored and can be restored, but that process is really important. And I think now, you know, one of the things that, like, you know, kind of brought this to you, you actually kind of brought this subject uh, to, to to talk about is because right now in our in our world, there have been so many moral failures yeah. and high profile people in the church. And so the testimony of that from people on the outside, they look in and they go, hey, you know, like, what are you people doing? And especially if things get hidden or deflected by leaders in the church. And so how we handle this and the processes that we go through, mm-hmm. I think that at this point, probably, I don't know if you agree with this, but I think that the world is watching and going, you know, here you have this great standard of righteousness, but how do you treat leaders and what what are those standards? Yeah. So, I, right? Yes, absolutely. I agree with you 100% on that. And I think it, that sometimes the fact that we don't bring discipline has hurt our reputation yeah. in the world. You know, stories come out that, you know, when somebody f- has some big moral failure and then we find out, well, there were a lot of things that led up to that. This is just when it became public. Sure. But there was a whole breadcrumb trail leading up to this that people chose to swept, sweep under the rug. And, you know, that harms the reputation, not only of a local church, but of the body of Christ. And, Thus, it harms the reputation of Jesus yeah. in a community, and that's the saddest part of all this. I think I would disagree a little bit 
okay. with your question. So when I ask, you know, can a minister be restored? Yes. I would probably have greater nuance and I would say 100% they can be restored in their relationship with Christ. Yep. That's 100%. That's a, you know, it's all about grace. If repentance is there, I think the worst, most hideous sinner on the planet yeah. can be restored. And of course, I'm only comparing man to man, human to human. We all understand that, you know, before Jesus, who's perfectly holy and perfectly righteous, there's no delineation of sin. Whether you miss by one degree or 180 degrees, you're equally sinners. That's right. So we both get that. I mean, Jesus paid it all. Yeah. He didn't pay for 98.5%. He paid it all. <laughs> exactly. So there's yeah. not a single person, yeah. worst possible sin, according to how we view sin, that can't be restored to a relationship with God. Yep. We get that 100%. Yep. I'm not sure every relation, every person can and should be restored to ministry. I think there are certain sins that are so egregious that while they can be restored to a relationship with Christ, they should not be restored to ministry. And I'm going there from Timothy's response or Paul's response to Timothy, where and his response to Titus, when he lists, they lifts these qualifications, and in both lists, we see they should be above reproach, right? Because they reflect the community, you know, they reflect God to the community. Yep. as a minister. And so I think from that perspective, I, 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 we probably could come up with other ones, but you know, the one that immediately comes to my mind is a pedophile. Yeah. So if you've done that, in my opinion, can you be restored to God a hundred percent, but you're yeah. never going to get that stink off of you in the, in the eyes of the sure. world. And I don't think the church, the world would understand. I'm not yeah. even sure I would understand, yeah. you know, well, we, we may disagree be, on that. And, you know, and I mean, there's other things, you know, premeditated murder. It's not I'm like, sure. you know, manslaughter, like you, you hit somebody driving a vehicle right. and you accidentally hit them, but like to premeditate a murder, I, listen, is certainly out there for debate. And we're, we're talking about the, you know, outliers of issues. So I, we, we may have some slight different, you know, differences in the way that we look at that. Um, I, I do go to the gifts and the callings of God or without repentance. But 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 I also your point is well taken. Does that mean that you're back into a pulpit carrying and looking after yeah, and, and pastoring people? That's the distinction it's we're a, making there. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So, you know, I'm not even saying that people can't be restored to ministry. I'm just saying that people shouldn't be restored maybe like to a pulpit ministry yeah. or a platform ministry. Um, and certainly they should be some rules and regulations related to like what kind of people interaction yeah. they should have if they've got that kind of background. But there's lots of areas of ministry in the church. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of times I think a test of character is am I willing to serve in a place and in a way where I'm not seen. I, I That actually may be one of the biggest, you know, th I think it goes to a core issue when it comes to ministry is because many times we can develop a great love for ministry. Like I love ministry, mm -hmm. but I love ministry because I love God and God loves people. And he fills my heart with that. 
But if I ever start to love ministry because it gives me a platform or I'm seen or heard or, or people respect a, me. meets a human hole in my heart. I yep. need affirmation from people or whatever. Yeah. It becomes very dangerous. Yeah, and, absolutely. And, and many times when you're doing restoration, because something has come in the way in your relationship with the Lord. And so ministry has, it really does become about doing ministry rather than your love for Christ. Otherwise you wouldn't be in the pitfalls that you're in. And so uh, it can be a very big, I think that's one of the, one of the reasons that it's important to not try to do ministry while you're doing restoration. Yeah, Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. All right, so I'm going to ask, before we get to the how-tos, okay. I got one last question on this front end. As, as ministry leaders, yep. we are regularly, let's particularly go to like ministry leaders who are speakers. Yes. So they're preachers. They're, use Ephesians 5, they're prophets, they're evangelists, they're pastors, they're teachers, you know, mm-hmm. they're these things. So of those types mm-hmm. of gifts, we handle the word of God yeah. all the time. Yep. We're supposed to be praying. How is it possible yeah. that a person who is handling God's word regularly? Yep manages to fall into these kinds of sin. Yeah, no, that that is actually probably the question of the ages when it comes to this. And I, I remember just as a new believer, you're and I know you would be old enough to remember this as well, but the, But you're older than I am. Oh, yeah, well like <laughs> two days. <laughs> uh, but but you know, back in the you know, Jim Baker and Jimmy oh, sure. Swaggart and everybody has their different yeah. opinions with all of that, but I mean, Jimmy Swagger was ready to go into China. The doors were open to take the gospel. And he obviously, God used him in a powerful way. Uh, even in my own life and other people, sure. you know, people were saved and people responded. And he obviously was in a very, really broken place. And one of the questions that people ask me is they, like, well, was I really saved or, you know, did God really use him? You know, God always works through his word. And if somebody speaks his word and if something isn't right in my own heart, God's word is still God's word and it doesn't return void. So I think there's a great power in that. I think that the issue becomes this is making sure that this vessel is at a place that that we're in a good place to deliver that word. We're never perfect. We're all so short uh, from of the glory of God. However, we, we, there are standards that the Bible lays out of a place that we should be because we are handling the Word of God. Yeah. And we don't want to do it with craftiness, and we don't want to do it with false motives. We want to do it with pure motives because uh, because people will only interpret, yes, the Word, but also the vessel that delivers sure. the Word. I think one of the most dangerous things that can happen in the life of a minister is when we're thinking, what does this word say to them? Mm. And we're not asking the question, what does it say to me? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm not asking like, what does, what do my, how do my people need to change yep. by this? But I should be asking, how do I need to change by this? So it's, I'm allowing it to speak into my own heart before it speaks to someone else. Yeah. But you know, people are in broken places and pastors, just like people in the congregation, we can be in really broken places and people have issues 
I've, I mean, I've dealt with pastors that have been molested, sure. have been abused mm. when they're younger, have gone through, you know, really, you know, big situations in life. And then you get into the stresses of ministry. And for a lot of pastors and leaders, it's their income. So just to say, well, I'll just, you know, quit and go do something else. A lot of times they don't have the capacity to sure. do that. So now they start hiding the brokenness, shifting and, you know, hiding and and, and shielding themselves uh, some of that isn't because they're not honest people. It's just they don't know how to navigate from the from the from the broken place. And what do I do with this? And mm. how are people going to perceive me? And sure. how what position does that place me in? And so it's it's a very uh, it's not as easy as what we may think. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, when I'm talking to, I spend a lot of time talking to younger ministers. Yep. And you know, transparency. Uh, authenticity are, you know, tremendous values for younger people today. You know, they want authenticity in the, in their ministers. Yep. And I've talked to a lot of the younger ones. And so they'll talk about, you know, they understand nothing should be secret, Hmm. but, but they go, they only have two categories in their mind sometimes, and that's secret and public. Right. And I help them with the understanding that there's actually three categories. Mm. There's secret, there's private, and there's public. Yep. And, you know, if, if you if you only have the secret in the public, I can promise you that in most cases, it's not going to stay secret forever. Yeah. You know, if you're doing stuff in the dark, eventually it's going to yeah. get announced from the public, you know, from the rooftop. Yeah. And don't, and don't you think it's the kindness of God? I mean, when I, when I look at that, so— Whenever things like that come to light, whatever the situation sure. is, and and you can look at it and go, oh, now, because in a human sense, we all look and go, bad person, look what they yeah. did. But sometimes the the exposing things or the revealing of things is not to put shame or guilt yes. on the individual, but it's God trying to go, hey, I want to see you come into freedom. And so I think that sometimes the way that we perceive it is like, oh, they got caught. Rather than going, this is an opportunity for a heart change because obviously sure. this person is in a difficult place. Yeah, and and I don't think it's unf- I think God looks, you know, he God's not time bound, right? So my temporary pain mm. is is less important than my ultimate destination. Yeah. So if you know God re- helping to reveal through circumstances, you know, orchestrating circumstances so that my sin gets revealed. Yep. If it's going to have a positive outcome yep. to my long-term restoration in my relationship with him, he's much more concerned about that long-term than he is about the short-term. Amen. And Mark, and, and if you're watching, uh, you're you're listening right now, and you're going, hey, maybe you've been caught, or maybe you're struggling with something. I want you to know that guilt and shame are negative emotions that really will never bring you to a place of freedom. No. Nope. And so sometimes when we start to talk on subjects like this, the church over the years has been so bad about trying to make this about guilt and shame and go hide in the court. Listen, we should always be about restoring brothers and sisters, seeing them come into a place of freedom. So maybe taking away the guilt and the shame and maybe rather emphasizing on 
this is a place that somebody can walk into freedom that they've never experienced. Absolutely. And I think that even goes to my, that when I talked about the secret and the public, mm -hmm. the reason I created that, that category of the private is mm -hmm. that that's, you know, I think if, if those are the only two categories you have, then most people are going to try to keep stuff secret. Mm -hmm. But if they understand that the private is having a, one or two brothers or sisters that they can talk to, yep. you know, and they can be transparent with. I mean, I think I'm convinced that one of the reasons so many ministers fail is that they are so stinking lonely. Yeah. I mean, they don't have friends that they can truly be open and honest with. That they, they trust. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you know, like when you start bear, you know, it's, it's one thing if you're talking to a friend and you're just buddies and you go watch a football game. Sure. It's another thing when this is, you know, this is like it's it's your livelihood, it's your life, it's your sure. reputation. And then, you know, where do you find that good, honest place? It's it's why many times because people go, why are so many pastors in this place? Well, it it's not easy. And that's why there's a high standard. Sure. And that's why God God doesn't put the high standard there to, to think that pastors or leaders are better than other people, but because he knows the pressures and the battles yeah. that will come into place. And if we don't acknowledge that, if we're not in a good, strong place, it, it just it, it can it can really bring you to a place of brokenness. Yeah, sure. And, you know, I think I, I think of Paul's, you know, admonition to Timothy, follow me as I follow Christ. <laughs> Yeah. You know, like there are things in my life, Timothy, you're going to see, you know, that maybe you don't want to follow. <laughs> you know, maybe I, I get irritated too easy. You yep. know, I have a short temper. I have whatever. Don't follow those things. Yep. But as much as I follow Christ, follow me. You that know, is I, great. And I think we have to have both of those. Yep. You know, because we need to have human examples. In our last episode, you talked about looking for that person that I, you want to become. Yeah. You know, that's a role model for you, mm -hmm. you know. And so I, anyway, so let's go into the how to's. Okay. All right. So a brother, a sister has had a failure. We're assuming this is more of a failure. This, this isn't, you know, I, this is, we're obviously talking about serious enough that they need to be removed from ministry. Yes. And, and just as a caveat here, I want to make sure we, or distinguishing between incompetence and a lack of character. Yes. You know, there are things in my life, areas in my life where I'm incompetent. <laughs> Amen. A lot. Yeah. Well, I that's mean, what Amy said. To yeah. Me. <laughs> nobody's going to, anybody, you know, who knows me knows there's lots of areas <laughs> that I'm incompetent in. Um, you know, and do I need to grow in those areas? Yes. But that's not a removal for ministry. Yes. You know, that's a, I need to grow. I need to get somebody beside me who's better at this. Yep. You know, that may mean I'm in a good fit in a job or not in a good fit in a role. Those are those kinds of things. But those are not moral issues. Those are just Absolutely. competency issues. Yep. We're talking about character. Yes. Issues. So we're assuming something's been made public enough. Right. You know, whether it was through confession or discovery, right? Something has been public enough that it's known by a group of leaders, yeah. You know that we are living in submission to, and now they're saying we've we're we're assuming repentance is is there. Yes, uh, we they've owned the issue, 
you know, where do we go from there? No, that's really good. And you, Mark, uh, like myself, I, I think most of your life has been in a denomination. Yeah, even uh, to today. Even to today. Yeah. Um, I've kind of had a mixed bag sure. with that. I've been non-denominational. I was in a denomination for a while. Now I'm non-denominational again. And so one, one of the first places to start is if you're in a denomination, mm-hmm. there's obvious structures that are in place. Sure. And that that in most of those places, not even negotiable. There's a, There are processes sure. that are... But it does take that first step of going to the people that are uh, pastors, overseers, presbyters, you know, people in those places, and then and then forming a, a, a good plan that's without guilt. But depending on, and this is a question I might ask you, mm-hmm. you know, does it matter what the what the sin is? Does it matter how deep the issue is, you know, in and what that process looks like? Um, but so that's in a denomination, but if it's non-denominational, it can be a little more difficult. Mm. And I think it has created in the church more problems than non-denominational because it's easier in a non-denominational church to have people that are friends on the board or Uh, overseers. And now you have to be really careful that you don't hide and protect in denominations. There's just straightforward plans. And I'm not saying that one is better or one is worse. But it is really important if you're in a in a non-denominational situation that you that you really follow some good protocols for how you go through that process because it's easy to subvert a good process. And so uh, and so that's the question I, I really would like to ask you back, Mark. Mm-hmm. Like, so what what is does it matter what the sin is? Does it matter what the difficulty is? And how does that determine the process? Yeah, it's a good question. And of course, you know, we, we do a lot of these podcasts extemporaneously. So yeah, here we are. You know, we've talked about the big issues, but, you know, before we start talking, but yeah. it's a good question. You know, I and I, I would say, you know, my first response would be, yes, it does matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the questions I would ask if I were involved in that process in a leadership position was frequency. Right. So are we talking about a one time? event are we talking about you know a lifestyle you know you know is you know so the the things that you know the the big three are money sex and power yep you know a lot of times leaders have access to funds Mm -hmm. and you know so sometimes they use them inappropriately they use them for themselves instead of you know and here at world challenge we have a very good accountability system yes you know the, my previous organization had an extremely strong accountability system, but yeah. I will tell you one thing I learned is if you want to steal, you'll steal. Yep. No, and there are clever people who have figured out the ways to get around IRS, yep. to get around church leaders, to get around the treasurer, and know uh, how you know how, how to take money and to hide it and to shield it. So. Yeah. No point well taken. So my, you know, the, the the big one that comes to everybody's mind is the sex. Yep. And is it egregious? Absolutely. Does mm-hmm. it need to be dealt with? Absolutely. Yes. You know, but so does money issues. Right. You know, it that's just equally, you know, and then of course, the one thing that we in the church oftentimes ignore mm-hmm. is abuse of power. Yes. You know, we, we put that in a different category. Yep. You know, and... I can't even tell you, I mean, 
I'm sure there are, I can think of one maybe example in the last where a high profile person got yeah. removed from their role for what was seen as an abuse of power. Yeah, no, I know who you're talking about and probably a lot of the, the listeners sure. do as well, but it was, it was egregious. I mean, it yes, was absolutely. The, the things that were said and done and, and we are put in a, pl- a position of power, but not to use uh, to beat people, not used to control people. Sure. We're put in a place of power to love people, to help people grow, uh, to know Jesus. Uh, so when when that power gets out of line, it actually, of the three, can actually harm people long term more than the other two. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And so my, you know, I guess what I'm, I brought that up to say, if you're listening and you're in a position of leadership, Please be sure to not just focus yep. on the money and the sex. Yep. But, you know, I think it, we lose a lot of our credibility in the world today yep. because of this power issue. Yep. And so, all right. So you asked the question, you know, and I would say about, you know, so I said frequency. Yes. You know, how often has it happened? How long has it been going on? And I would say, how broad is the impact of victims? Yeah. Those would be questions that I would factor in. There probably would be some other, you know, things I would ask, you know, and, but some of those go back to has true repentance taken place? So of course they've said they're sorry, you know, they've, they've turned (laughs) to God, but you know, as we know, saying you're sorry, isn't repentance. How many times have we been in a place and people are, I mean, Blowing snot, like, I mean, <laughs> you know, weeping and crying, and oh, I'll never do it again. And but like, don't mistake tears for for change. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, I guess my que- my answer would be yes, and <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it. I think what we're saying here today is why we want to give some good principles. This yeah. is really a complicated yeah. issue that needs to be spirit enlightened right you know so it's not emotionally driven right but it but we allow the spirit to help us how in how we apply principles yeah and and the and the longevity i think you said this too patterns of behavior over long periods of time and you know i think you probably know like i do people that have been through multiple occasions of going through some kind of restoration and it's, you know, and it becomes multiple times. Like, is there, is there a place there, which I know you said this more towards the beginning. Yeah. Is there a place that you just disqualify yourself or do you think that there is still a, a way through uh, after the second, third, fourth time of restoration? Yeah. I think it, it you know, just here again, and John, you know, me, I, if anything I have come to over the last several years is just this incredible growth and an understanding of grace Amen. and believing everybody can be restored. Yep. And I could give you a long list of people I pray for every single day, Yep. you know, that I am longing for the day when they're restored to God. Amen. Um, but I will say in, in using your example there, that I do think there are times when people have disqualified themselves from public ministry. Yeah. You know, because of like use serial approaches, you know, yeah. where they 
repent. They turn into the book of Judges, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the cycle. Right? Exactly. That hamster wheel of, you know, yeah. repentance, restoration, failure, repentance, restoration, failure, you know. And at some point you realize, you know, God set a higher standard yeah. for ministry because not because, like you said earlier, not because we're supposed to be better, but because we speak for him. Yeah. And you can't separate message from man. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like, I love what he says, but he's a jerk. You know, I love what he says, but he's immoral. No, yeah. I mean, it, sorry, in our world today, especially where issues of faith are concerned, people are not going to separate the message yeah. from the messenger. And so I think that there are yeah. times that if we continue, because most of the time I think when, and maybe I'm being, maybe I'm wrong here, but. I think most of the time when you see that serial approach happening, there's one, I question whether or not true repentance happened. But even if it did, I think I can say with credibility that there are underlying issues that were not dealt with. Yep. And particularly in the area of putting into place safeguards in the future that protected you. So going back to, we'll just, I'll focus like in in my particular ministry context in a denominational setting, if a minister has a moral failure, immediately they're removed from public ministry. Right. Then if there is, it is determined that there is true repentance that has taken place, you know, they've owned their sin. They're not blaming it on somebody else. Right. You know, they're saying, this is on me, no matter what the other factors were. Right. I did this. Right. You know, so they've owned it. Yep. Um, And so if that's in place, they say, okay, then let's see what a restoration process might look like. There is a an immediate removal from public ministry that's going to last at least one year. Yep. So you're supposed, but in that time, you you have to be in church. Yes. So you're no longer up front speaking or in other forms of ministry. You are you are part of the body, but you are not leading anybody. Yeah, and I'm kind of familiar with one question. I'm, I'm not particularly sure about this. So if that happens with the pastor, because, mm-hmm. you know, it, it is obviously their job as well. Right. So, so is there a way that is made for the pastor or the leader to continue to be on staff? Or or are they or do they have to go find another job? That's or do a something really good else? question. And the truth is, it's it would depend on the local church in that context. Right. And a lot of times, it just comes down to a lack of resources. Yeah. So in a big church where you might have a bigger budget, right? Maybe they would say because we're trying to keep. I mean, like you just said, I mean, there's a consequence to this. Yeah. You know. And, and a lot of times it's the wife and the kids yes. or it's the spouse and the kids who pay the price yeah. for the failure, you know, or at least they share the, you know, cause they get, they get the shame. They didn't do anything wrong, but yeah. they bear the shame and they bear the consequences of loss of income. Yeah. Um, so some larger churches that have money might find a way to have somebody employed, but not in ministry. Right. And so that they could keep enough income to at least keep them afloat. Sure. But let's just face it in a church of 50 people, 
You can't. They're struggling just to keep one person. Yeah. Or on even staff. 300 people. Exactly. Just a, yeah. They're just, just they're a, struggling to keep one person gainfully employed. Yeah. And so in those situations, I think they're just removed and there's they're going to have to find another form of yeah. employment. But if it's a first time issue and it's and the level is a, at a certain, you know, maybe it's, you know, maybe not some of the things that we talked about earlier. But you go, you know, somebody had an affair or somebody mm-hmm. looked at things online that they shouldn't look at. Sure. Then we, we would we would think that the best thing for a person like that would be if it's possible to keep them employed, maybe doing other things in ministry. I would think that's the ultimate way of doing that. But no if, promise of that. Yeah, either. no promise. And and in some cases, it's just not practical. Right. But if it is pro- possible, I would certainly recommend good that then you know so they would be out of ministry in what we think of in those upfront kinds pulpit. of pulpit ministry yeah. and for at least a year yeah it's not it's not on you know day 366 right you're restored but it's yeah. a minimum <laughs> of a year yeah. and then there is a second year when a person could be restored to ministry but still under the oversight yeah. Uh, so if somebody's or so if we're talking about a senior pastor, for instance, right, who has had a moral failure of some type, they've been removed from ministry. It's not that in a year they're going to go back yes. to being the senior pastor. It's that within a year they'd be restored, but and they would have they would be allowed to have pulpit type ministry, but they're still under the submission yeah. of another leader. Right. And so and then they're gauging those that governing body is gauging, you know, their restoration mm-hmm. to ministry. And there should be, of course, lots of long term co- talking and and a lot of times they're digging into, you know, what's the underlying issues here? Yeah. And if there are seem to be underlying issues like you referred to earlier, of people carrying pain from their past that they bring into their future, you yeah. know, into their present, you know, in order to ensure that it doesn't go into the future. You know, are you dealing with these issues? Yeah. You know, and so like they would be mandating counseling, for instance. Right. You know, sometimes, you know, in, in best case scenarios, they're assisting and paying for that counseling or at least keeping insurance in place. Yeah. You know, yeah. so that those things can be done. And so and then at the end of that two year process, if things have been, you know, everybody has followed through the process and there has been you know, not only repentance, but there has been relational restoration. They've done everything. Then at that point, they would be allowed to be returned to full-time yeah. ministry. Yeah. And the thing that I think is good about that, if if you have a process like that, I think it, it, it becomes a little bit easier for a pastor that's struggling to come out themselves without having to be, like you said before, not being revealed, but something that they come and confess uh, because they know that there is a place of healing. Mm-hmm. If if the church doesn't do this properly on the one side, it it can really put the pastors and leaders in fear that if they if they're ever found out that you know, then they're gonna be left without any livelihood or way sure. to make a way through. And, and we both know that only bad things grow in the dark. You better believe it. And <laughs> because this is the other side of that is that if you don't if you don't go through some of these things and I can say this from experience experience with and dealing with people that when you take shortcuts on the on a restoration process it always comes back and and bites you yeah because it there's no shortcuts to this 
and the, the issues are deeper than just surface issues. And when you just try to deal with surface issues and you don't go to the causation of the issues, yeah. then you're, you're shortcutting a process that really uh, is not just helpful to the kingdom of God and the church, but it's really helpful to that individual, sure. right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So we, we've said restoration is possible. We said we've kind of defined a little bit about what, when should restoration, mm-hmm. you know, restoration with God always possible. We've talked about should somebody be restored, and we've kind of discussed that. We've talked about a few of the principles and patterns of what restoration might look like. Yep. Any, as we wrap up today, any final words you want to share on this? No, I really, I want to ask you a, a, a question, Mark, um, just in, in kind of wrapping up here. So does it matter what the public perception uh, when you're a ministry and you're go- either the person's going through restoration or the people that are putting the person through restoration, do, do you take that into account, the public perception, whether that's in the church family or the general community that may not even be uh, believers? I think it makes 100%. I think it's a big issue. Right. And I think it, it we have to take it into consideration. And I honestly think that's what Paul was saying, even in his, in his admonitions to Titus and to Timothy, when he said you should be above a reproach, not only amongst the believers, but amongst unbelievers, that you have a good reputation amongst unbelievers. So it's absolutely crucial. It was, if it was crucial in Paul's day, when they were communicating by mouth and by (laughs) (laughs) parchment, right now we have social media media, and Instagram and Facebook and exactly when, you know, it's even more. Yep. important today it's certainly not less yeah and and in in america particularly the most of the western world um society unbelieving society has looked at the way that we have dealt with situations like this and they go it's just an honest thing to say like you know will you pastors get up and say homosexuality is a sin which i would agree with that and abortion is wrong and all of the issues that we bring up that we say that are wrong. And yet, when it comes to dealing with personal issues or pastors and leaders, we go, well, we'll just not really emphasize that. And it ha- we've, to some degree, we've lost our testimony. Yeah. So it's really important how we walk through this and the way that we communicate. We don't hide things. We don't shove it into the corner. Uh, not made to embarrass or bring shame on individuals, but go, hey, there is a process that is for restoration because we believe that the person that delivers the word is not as important as the word, but it is important. And, you know, in closing, I think that's why Paul says, you know, if an elder sins, you rebuke them publicly. Yep. Why? Because the reputation of Christ and his gospel is on the line. Yeah. And so, you know, if we know that that's a possibility, at least it's one more hurdle that yeah. we might face before we walk across the line into sin. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We want to finish our time today praying for you. Um, you know, I, I, I know there are people watching who, one, maybe they've been in a church where their pastor has failed. And the truth is we acknowledge that's painful. Yeah. You respected somebody and they hurt you. 
And, um, you know, I, I want to pray for you related to that. Um, one, that we also don't want you to hold them to a standard you don't want to be held to, you know. <laughs> True. Um, we want grace to be what permeates every part of our lives. And we understand as Christ followers who are committed to God's word that holiness and grace, truth and grace are flip sides of the same coin. Yep. They are not separated from one another. So any form of restoration that we're talking about, we want it to have both pieces of that. It wanted to have the truth piece, but we also want to have the grace piece. So I want to pray for you. And if you're a minister today who's watching this and you're toying with sin, you're entertaining sin in your life, please don't continue. Find somebody that you can have a conversation with. Too much is at stake. Yes, the sake of the gospel, but your own relationships also. Your own relationship with God. We want to see you restored. And we want to see you protected from pain. I'm going to close our time together today in in prayer, John. Amen. Father, thank you so much for uh, your word. Lord, today we've made a lot of reference to uh, Paul's letters to Timothy and to Titus. Lord, will you give us a description of what a minister should look like? Father, one, we just want to ask for forgiveness on personally and on behalf of the body of Christ where we failed in this area. Yes. Lord, we realize that we represent you. And Lord, we want to represent you well. So Lord, help us with that. Lord, we also know that there is so much shame attached to this uh, when we do fail. And so, Lord, today, we pray that you would use shame. Lord, if it's there, we ask that you would use it to bring restoration, to bring repentance, and then that people would fully grasp and just bathe in the grace of God. Lord, that they would understand that this can be a tool that actually brings them to greater spiritual growth. Lord, we we want to see people in churches, ministers in churches, leaders in churches. We want to see them all restored and in right relationship with God. So, Lord, we ask for this. And just as we close, I know John and I want to acknowledge the fact that we don't want to ever not take heed lest we fall. So, Lord, when we talk about restoration and ministers living a holy life, we certainly want that for ourselves. And we hope and we pray that our approach today has been one that spoke truth and grace and it held that in balance. Lord, we love you. Thank you for this time. Bless those who are watching and listening in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please join us next week when we are going to talk about the subject of living authentically. I think it'll be a great conversation. And then, you know, whatever podcasting app uh, you listen to, if you would uh, share our content with somebody else, we would appreciate it. If you watch on YouTube, like, make a comment, uh, recommend it to somebody. We're always grateful for your time and for your support. Thanks so much for joining us. We know your time is valuable and we're so thankful you chose to spend it with us. 
As a follow-up to our conversation, we'd like to recommend John Bailey's new sermon series, God's Eternal Pursuit. You can find all five episodes at worldchallenge.org, or you can get more information in today's show notes. Join us next time for a conversation on living authentically. We'll see you then.